you are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Tesena. Buonasera, Brian Nygaard, former press officer of Sky, CSC, Yorica, team manager of Leopard Trek, Ibarone, the Baron, how are you? Buonasera, Daniel, I am very well, thank you very much. Very well, time trials, all is forgiven, we need more time trials, they're fantastic, there should be not three, five. Well, if they're like trial. anything today, then why not? Brian, the time trialing is also a lot of talk about the, the number of kilometers against the clock in this Giro d'Italia, 70-odd, isn't it, I think? They're almost, well, the flat time trialing is almost over. And Remco's advantage is not as significant after today's time trial as we thought it would be. We thought it would be a case of the others having a big deficit that they would have to cancel out, make up in the mountains somehow. Not the case and not exactly what we expected, but it's going to be a lot more of that later in the episode. Brian, can you explain where we are? It's a very unusual recording location this evening. Um, it is. So we are at the Technogym headquarter, which is almost a, a theme park for... Headquarters is not really doing it justice, No, is it? it's, it's like a theme park for gym instruments, all kinds of measurements of torture looking around here, you know... Uh, steady like what do they call like bikes on uh, with computer screens in front of them I think this is where they're plotting the demise of Peloton um, potentially yeah <laughs> potentially well it's all made for indoors anyways I suppose and and uh, that would make a lot of sense today if you wanted to exercise because it wasn't exactly for any outdoor activities unless you were a professional bike rider yes this is a, a sort of campus isn't it um, Techno Gym were, are based in Cesena. They were founded in Cesena. More about them later. Well, this building, though, I think was opened about 10 years ago. Bill Clinton attended the uh, the inauguration of this building, as well as Giorgio Napolita- uh, Napolitano, the president of the Italian Republic at the time. Brian, um, should we get to the tail of the tapper? Why Without not? too much further ado, we've got a lot to get through, a lot of audio tonight. So, it's time for the tail of the tapper. So, Daniel... The stage 9 time trial, 35 kilometers from Savignano sul Rubicona to Cesena. Pancake flat parkour. It was a bit of a countdown today until the big GC favorites lined up at the start ramp at the end of this fairly rainy afternoon. Until then, however, it was the usual TT experts and big rulers who made themselves dry and comfortable in the hot seat just outside where we are standing right now. Australian Michael Hepburn, Jesse Sudolin and Eduardo Affini all rode the course with an average of more than 49 kilometers, but it was only four seconds that separated. And that was actually sort of quite a, a forewarning of what was to happen later on. Things kept very close, but as Bauke Mollema and Brandon McNulty finished within a second, Bauke Mollema took over the hot seat and bettering Hepburn's time with 14 seconds. The first two riders to average more than 50 kilometers an hour were Stefan Kung and Bruno Amaral. Kung was the fastest of two and setting a very serious marker with a time of 41.28. But then things really started to heat up even if this was a rather chilly day. With Tao Gegenhardt setting the fastest time of the first split, the stage now turned into what we're all waiting for, the big GC showdown. Garen Thomas was three seconds faster that split, and Roglic, a somewhat maybe, I guess, surprising 20 seconds behind. Evenepoel, as suspected, was the fastest when he passed 11 seconds faster than Thomas, and hence 31 seconds faster than Roglic after just 13, fi- 13 kilometers. So things kept uh, staying extremely close as only seven, secura- seven seconds separated the teammates, Garen uh, Thomas and Togegen Hart, at the 10k uh, later second split. But a very surprising Evenepoel uh, was a mere two seconds faster than Thomas at that point. Taugegen had set the fastest time when he crossed the line in what I think was one of the best TCCs done to date, beating Kung with two seconds. He was only bettered by one second by Garen Thomas as he passed the line. A real drama it was, but more so regarding the stage win than the GC uh, shakeup because Remco Evenepoel won just with one second. 
After being on the up yesterday, Primoz Roglic came back strong on the second part of the TT or Remco Evenepoel went slower, as we probably um, could gather from what he said in the time trial. So uh, the impression he gave on the only t uh, on the opening TT, talking about Roglic, he was actually only 17 seconds slower than Evenepoel. I think this was one of the most thrilling TTs I have witnessed, with two seconds separating the three first rider riders. Andreas Lechnerson had to give up the pink jersey that, in, that I think that he has defended with a splendid panache. Uh, but after losing a minute and 15, his days in pink were over for now, but he's still very much up there in the GC now taking sixth place in this Giro. The new GC is shaping up to be a prelude to a nail-biting thriller here, close to the halfway point and before the rest day. Brian, did I hear correctly on Rai Television, they said the actual margin of victory for Remco Evenepoel was nine hundredths of a second? It was less than a second, yeah. Nine hundredths, I believe. That was our friend uh, Zio Stefano Di Chateo, I think it was. Um, he said that on Rai. But it was absolutely thrilling. Very small time gaps, small margins. Brandon McNulty was the first rider to concede a minute or more from Remco Evenepoel and he was in 16th place which um, you know we were talking yesterday about well these predictions that people might have made a week ago the the margin of victory or the margin of Remco Evenepoel's advantage over Primoz Roglic might be as much as two minutes nothing of the sort but there were well there were some Delighted riders at the finish, quietly delighted, I think, and there were some probably slightly confused or miffed riders as well at the finish. We're going to hear from a few of them and a few of their direct sportifs. Let's kick off with the same trifecta we had yesterday, Brian. Um, Mark Rafe, the Jumbo Visma direct sportif, talking about Primoz Roglic's ride. Then we're going to hear from an understandably disappointed Geraint Thomas. And finally... Theo Gagan-Hart, who exceeded most people's expectations today, I would suggest. Here they are. Uh, when we did the recon, there was almost no wind, and it was really wet. Um, but then after the recon, uh, Edo was our first starter. Um, he also brought back that there was quite some wind, uh, more wind than, uh, than during the recon. So also there, we, uh, we take that into account, uh, that we had to start a bit more defensive. And then, uh, then in the second part, there was a lot to gain. And I think that he did on a really good way. You also see that in the intermediate times, that he lost the most at the, at the first intermediate check. And then bit by bit, it took some time back. So, and he finished really strong. So we're really happy with that. Yeah, obviously, it's nice to uh, be getting better. Um, but to be so close to the win kind of hurts. I think it's, I think it's my uh, fourth, second place in a TT in the Giro after twice in 2012 and then in 17 and now here. So, yeah, a few too many seconds for my liking, but yeah, it's good to be in it anyway. And, uh, you know, myself and Teo right up there is. Uh, Looks good for the next part of the race. Yeah, I felt good, which is most important. Um, was hard to to judge all the corners and stuff because you really don't want to take risks. So yeah, then you always end up a bit wondering which ones you didn't do great. But uh, that's kind of normal for a stage race and especially a Grand Tour. So I'm happy it's rest day tomorrow and uh, yeah. Tell you, on a day like today when it's as wet as this, how just tell us how you feel on the start round, how nervous are you that that could jeopardise things? No, I think it's probably more in your hands than uh, any normal stage, wet stage. So it's up to you how you, you want to race. Um, I felt good in the recon. Uh, you have to accept you're never going to get every corner perfect. Some of them are always going to be not quite. And... Uh, yeah, you just have to hope that it averages out in the end. Some are good, some are bad, and in the end also. Yeah, we know the corners were going to make a big difference today, but still you can only focus on putting uh, the power down on the flat. And uh, yeah. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast at the Giro d'Italia. Now, fueling strategy has changed. The amount of carbohydrates the riders take on board has increased dramatically. 
And so I wondered whether the improvement in knowledge, the improvement in products had eliminated the dreaded bonk. That's the feeling of running out of energy all of a sudden. So I asked Ben Swift of Ineos Grenadiers. Yeah, definitely. When I was younger, you used to get that that sensation a lot more. And I think as I've matured as a rider and uh, understanding the nutrition of it a lot more, uh, I've had that sensation a lot less. Uh, certainly the last couple of years, I've, I've been a lot better with that side of stuff. Maybe I was always a bit underfueled in the past. Uh, and I think now it's just getting your own little routine. You know when to eat and you know, kind of know roughly how much to eat. They're also looking at like the demands of the day and the next day and what's happening before. And not only that, it depends on your role in the team as well. You know, it's like we're all doing the same stage, but we're all doing a different role in that in that stage. So you kind of fueling is spread differently. There's not like a basic A to B really. It's kind of a little bit individualized. For the full range, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, Brian, I thought that was particularly interesting. Mark Rafe saying that Primoz Roglic is relatively slow start, certainly compared to Remco Evenepoel, was all part of the plan. Uh, I turned to you in the press room halfway through the time trial, and I sort of said, well, maybe Roglic is not the time trialist he used to be. We've seen a little bit of evidence of that this year, a few hints in that direction, but finally finishing off 17 seconds behind Remnipal would suggest otherwise. He would be very happy with that if you made that suggestion to him before the stage. This is a great result for him. And don't forget, this is a there was a completely flat time trial and it was a time trial that a lot of even great fans of the Giro said that, oh, this is just it's going to be really boring. I was messaging this uh, morning with one of the great fans of the podcast, Fanny from Denmark. We and she fans? Yeah, we have fans. Wow. <laughs> and she was like considering not even seeing it or maybe falling asleep. There was no reason for that. It, it kept things open. It, the, the inconclusiveness of the time gaps today be, being so small just is basically the, perf- the best gift you could have for the remainder of the race. Brian, it certainly was a very exciting time trial. And um, much as my calls with Lionel Bernie are always riveting. And um, in fact, let's have one of those right now. Let's wind the clock back, as we always do, to shortly after the cappuccino curfew. Here I am with Lionel for our pausa cappuccino dopo le undici. It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie dopo le undici. Pronto. Hello, Daniel. Ciao. Hello. Hello. Hello, Daniel, with a slightly Italian kind of twang to it. Wow. Like you're an Italian who's just been hired by a lower league English football club and is trying to integrate as best as possible. <laughs> you should know you should know that as a Watford fan. That's well, a situation that you've been through a few times. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. No, well, it's not very Italian weather for you over there. I feel quite quite guilty that the, the sun is actually shining here in the south of England today and you've got yet more miserable weather over there. Yes, it's really rotten. Um, there's no no way around that, Lionel. Um, especially, you know, a, a finish like today. I mean, it's an homage. It's a, it's a celebration of Techno Gym. We'll talk more about them later in the episode, the gym equipment manufacturers. But the finish is n- next to their campus, effectively. Um, I think they've probably forked out a decent sum of money to have it here. Well, certainly will have. And it's consequently it's out of, it's outside of Chisina, so it's sort of in the suburbs, and it's not a very beguiling setting in this weather, I would say. Well, on the other hand, the MG Technogym jersey from the nineties was beguiling. Right, I actually have one. I actually have one of those. I've got a cap as well that I run in. I've got a cap. But no spoilers please, Lionel. We're gonna okay. talk more about MG Technogym later in the episode. Well, what can I say about the last day or so? I mean, I'm glad Brian got the, the, the joke in about the cappuccini climb yesterday's stage, the kind of the centrepiece of the stage being climbed at about half past three and then again at a quarter to five. I mean, breaking all sorts of rules, the cappuccini rules there. Um, I think we got the first foie of the season from Geraint Thomas in your interview with him, where he's got a little verbal tick when it's really tough out there. Whoa, tough, wasn't it, eh? 
Ex- extraordinary, I mean, extraordinary interview that caused a lot of consternation, didn't it? With well, his claims I mean, about Primus Roglic. I mean, it, you know, uh, the mind games. We did think it might be a bit of a mind game Giro, didn't we? And yeah. I mean, yesterday we were talking. You were, you were, um, you know, bemoaning the lack of action, and I urged patience. You didn't have to be patient for more than about another ten minutes because the race really. Uh, well, it was a surprising finale, wasn't it? And I think, especially with the weather being the way it is, there are enough uncertainties, enough variables to suggest that it isn't just going to be a Remco Evenepoel procession all the way to Rome, is it? There's there's plenty of intrigue still to come, I think. Yeah, well, I'm speaking to you, well, it's about three o'clock, um, so well after the cappuccino curfew, and it's not too long before we find out. Um, is it just how much yesterday was an indicator that Remco's form is perhaps not quite as good as we imagined um, or not or not indeed I mean this brings to the end the first kind of block of racing you often talk about how the opening nine days of the the Giro or any Grand Tour is a bit like a sort of Tirreno Adriatico or a Paris-Nice and then it enters a another phase doesn't it after the first rest day there's always the question marks about how riders respond to having a day off from the intensity of racing and of course um, finishing this block with a time trial I, I would like to propose a UCI rule that Grand Tours are not allowed to hold time trials on weekend days because I just feel like it's Ah, it's just, I know there's a lot riding on the result today, but as a visual spectacle, uh, it's not the, not the most gripping afternoon in front of the television. From my armchair would, point of view, I'm, I'm speaking here. Yeah, I would just suggest a slight tweak to that rule. I would suggest also Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, <laughs> um, possibly. Uh, maybe that they should be allowed on leap years or on bank holidays, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but it's going to be interesting for the actual race, so isn't it? I do hope, for the sake of the race, that uh, Remco Evenepoel doesn't kind of replicate the result from the opening day and kind of uh, extrapolate that result across the fact that it's a, a longer distance, isn't it? Remember, he did all of the damage on the flat. It's flat today, so we will have to see what the results uh, say at the end of today. And let's hope that it's still a, a real live fight for the for the final two weeks. My only other observation, having listened to the podcast and your uh, chat with Pavel Sivakov from the Mix Zone, I just wish the Giro would tone down the techno music at the start. It's just, ah, oh, it's just not my cup of tea. I'm probably getting old now, aren't I? You know, just some easy listening would be nice there in the morning. I, I did, I did ask myself this morning. I was out on a run this morning in the absolutely torrential rain, and I was thinking about my interview with Pavel Sivakov. And obviously, I don't re-listen to the episodes, um, but there was a, a bit of a postscript to that interview, or you may have heard it. I'm not sure where I reminded Pavel Sivakov that he owes me a bottle of wine. Was that in the episode? It was indeed, yes. Oh, it was. I'm surprised I haven't any questions <laughs> about what it's for. Maybe we'll, well leave that cliffhanger for, a, for two or three more days. Oh, what is it for? Oh, well, should we not spoil it now? Three, we'll have to three remember. Three or four more days. Mate, send in your suggestions. What could it possibly be <laughs> for? Is Pavel Sivakov an Arsenal supporter? That's that. Oh, don't, that don't mention no. that. That's a, that's a sore point because, yet again, okay. we've got a Grand Tour stage that clashes with an Arsenal match. So, um, yeah, no mention of that. Please line up. Another one for the UCI's rules department. No That's clashes exactly. with Arsenal matching. <laughs> well, enjoy the time trial. Well, I know it's un- it's ongoing at the moment. It's underway already. But enjoy the pointy end when all the all the big names go. And I shall check in with the the dry, dull result sheet at about half past five this evening. <laughs> Thanks, Lionel. <laughs> Brian, you were our man in the press conference in Remco's press conference what kind of mood was he in he was actually in a a good mood considering the result of today um whatever skepticism i've had about his personality and his you know he's a very young rider and he's a young athlete who's achieved great things in a very short amount of time he's brilliant in those press conferences then he really has a a very rare ability to put words on where he is in the race, the specific situations, even after a very big effort as it must have been today. Did, did, did I overhear correctly? I was working in an adjacent room. Did I overhear that someone asked him why or how are you so good at explaining yourself? 
or a question to that effect? No, I, I didn't, oh, I didn't okay. hear that. But okay. uh, it would be a pertinent question, but I think something should be heard and not explained when it comes to things like that. But he was uh, very realistic also. He was trying, he said he probably, and we could see that on the splits as well, that he, he had a probably a bit too optimistic wattage coming into the first part of the TT and then he, you know, he wasn't able to keep up the pace at the end. Having said that, though, he was still the stage winner. You know, he won the second stage in this Giro and he has the pink jersey. But it was also maybe a disappointment to him that he didn't win with more. I'm, I'm sure it was because it, it, it opens things up in a rather interesting way for us, but maybe not so much for him and his team now having to defend. And it demonstrates a trend, doesn't it? After yesterday, two stages. I mean, I think we can call that a trend. Um, I think we can say that Primoz Roglic has more momentum than Remco Evenepoel at this point. If Remco had it a week ago, then it's it's passed towards Ineos, it's passed towards Primoz Roglic, and it makes us wonder when we get to the harder, longer climbs, because Gran Sasso d'Italia was a bit of a nothing burger, wasn't it? A nothing arrosticino. And the Gino was just a stick. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we are going to see some much longer climbs next week. And we, I suppose you just wonder whether Remco has gone past the point of al dente, which uh, I'm sure, you know, his coaches, Kern Pelgrim and the other coaches at Sudal Quickstep, and they obviously know what they're doing. Um, so I don't think he'll have overtrained, but form can be unpredictable, can't it? Yeah, and this could turn into al dente's inferno now. Yeah. With <laughs> al dente's inferno? When he, you know, he has both Tau Gegenhardt and Geraint Thomas breathing down his neck, and often in cycling, when you try to explain that, it actually sometimes makes sense to have two captains in a Grand Tour. People said, no, 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 they should only focus on one rider. Well, now, with Gegenhard and Thomas being so close, they actually have the real sort of, they've potentially found the tactical key that fits the lock to this Giro, much to Remco's, I think, and his sports director's concern. Al Dente's Inferno, I'm sure I've eaten that a few times on the Tour de France. Uh, Brian, I said there were some disappointed, not only riders, but also coaches at the finish uh, this afternoon. One of them was certainly Julien Pinot, um, our good friend from uh, Groupama FDG, brother of Thibaut, of course. And he was completely exasperated because his man, well, a rider he has been coaching for a few years now, Stefan Kung, had another very near miss. He missed out by four seconds today. And also... Thibaut Pino, we've just had confirmation of this, has been ill um, for the last few days. And Julien so rightly said, well, every time Stefan misses out by a couple of seconds, we'll remember the World Championships last year, he lost out to Tobias Foss by, I think, three seconds. And well, the, the, there have been a catalogue of near misses in the career of Stefan Kung. Although he's, he's become also a hot seat heater. <laughs> he has, but he's also picked up some prestigious titles as well, European titles and so forth. So a lot of disappointment there and understandably some disappointment for Geraint Thomas. So we're going to hear from Stefan Kung where he came, when he came over the line, he didn't know at that point, obviously where he was going to finish at that point, he was in the hot set, hot seat, but you'll probably detect that he, he didn't think he'd done enough. And then we're also going to hear from the Ineos Grenadiers, sort of marginal gains guru, aerodynamics guru, our record, former our record holder, Dan Bigham, about well, where Geraint Thomas maybe could have picked up those few fractions of a sec second and ultimately got the stage win today. So here's Stefan Kung and Dan Bigham. Yeah, it was a very tough course. I mean, 34 kilometers of time trialing at the end of a, uh, quite a demanding first week of the Giro. So uh, yeah, it was not easy. There were technical parts. It was uh, wet roads and so on. Uh, yeah, I'm happy with the first and the last part. The middle part was not quite ideal. Uh, so I just hope now the conditions stay the same for everyone and uh, we'll see how far it gets me. Stefan, you seem to be climbing really well this week. Has that sort of taken anything off the time trialing or does it just mean you're on great form and we saw that today? No, I mean, uh, I don't have the impression uh, my climbing is uh, hampering my time trial abilities. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard uh, to prepare for... Uh, uh, yeah, in such short notice after classics for uh, for the Giro, but I tried my best. And uh, actually, for me also, like yesterday, people were asking me why did you hang on so long. But in the end, you just have to keep the organism going uh, in order to be able to perform uh, every day. 
Well done, you're the man of the marginal gains and that was a very, very, very marginal loss. Um, I bet you can't help thinking about, well, what marginal gain could have redressed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, G lost his visor halfway through, so to be honest, that would probably do it. So, uh, yeah, a bit obviously frustrating, but equally you can take uh, take pride in the fact that they're so close to the, at the top end, second and third, by literally a second. It's a really good situation for the guys, obviously, across the board as well, not just Teo and G, but with Tymon and Lawrence and, and Pavel, they're, they're all at the sharp end and all, all in a really good position. So, yeah, really pleased with the guys and impressed with what they've done today. Were there some difficult decisions to make today, given the conditions? Um, were there any risks that you had to contemplate taking um, today in terms of equipment particularly yeah we definitely we have a lot of discussions obviously around weather forecast rain predictions and, and use some good modeling through Ineos with Ineos Britannia we have some good connections on on the weather side of things so that obviously helps but um really when it comes down to it it's what tire pressure and what tires do you run in the rain and and how how much you want to push it and that comes down to the rider on the day the confidence they have in the bike uh the preparation they've done and yeah, I think we have, we have a good situation around Continental there with their tyres and we're very confident, but it's still it's the rider on the day and what they're willing to, to push because you can drop your pressure, you might lose a little bit in rolling resistance but gain a bit in grip and it's where does that optimal lie. And Dan, I mean, after the first time trial, time trial, people said it was ultimately a test of aerodynamics as well, as much as was. Um, this one, very small time gaps between all the top guys. I guess that was the scenario that you were expecting, was it? Yeah, we uh, we do a lot of modelling to, to understand that, and um, today was a, a race of execution, really. So not such um, what's the CDA, but how well you corner, how well you break, how well you deliver your performance on the day, and um, yeah, the guys delivered. Well, Brian, Garen Thomas losing his visor halfway through the time trial. Um, I think you said that Almeida also had problems with his visor at some point. He was actually a slight disappointment for me today. Um, I thought that he would be in the mix with the Rogliches and the Kungs and the Thomases to possibly win the stage. I mean, his performance in the opening time trial certainly suggested that. I think he, if you look at the top five where he's he's fifth now, he's the first rider to be more than a minute behind Evenepoel. I think he rode up to what his expected level would be. I think Remco Evenepoel underperformed. And I think especially Tao Gingenhardt overperformed compared to what he usually does on the TT. He's not a bad TT rider, but he's not someone I've, I would have expected to be close to winning a 35-kilometer time trial at the Giro. But still, when you think of that, like, imagine adding Dan Bigham to Tif- Stephen Kung's um, army of marginal gains. He's, you know, having been the bridesmaid so many times. Those, I think for the, how fast this was, this time trial was one with more than 50 kilometers an hour. Aerodynamics, small, small advantages are going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, that said... At least in terms of seconds to win the stage. Yeah, I mean, that said, Dan was almost downplaying his own role today in saying that the key was execution and that you know, there weren't a, weren't a huge number of corners, but what corners there were in the wet on relatively narrow rows became absolutely vital, didn't they? Yeah, and you could, al- you could almost argue that if Kung had taken a few chances of those because he's not here to do GC he was here to win this stage I think of course he would be that would he could have found those seconds there I think whereas the G- GC riders would probably not take too great of a risk in, in those sections because why would they yeah you heard me there our Stefan Kung about his climbing form and whether that's maybe taken the edge off his time trial slightly. he doesn't think so as you heard there but that was an interesting point he he, he said that other riders had even asked him whether it was worth his while holding on so long yesterday. And it was noticeable, wasn't it? Yeah. We usually expect the time trial specialists, the guys who aren't really concentrating on GC, to have a quiet day on the day before a time trial. And that wasn't the case with Kung. Brian, a couple of the notable performances. Uh, Damiano Caruso had no idea where he'd finished when he came over the line and was absolutely delighted to find out that I think he was fourth at the time. Uh, doubly impressive because, well, p- possibly doubly impressive because it's time for our daily COVID rumour. Um, I heard from a very good source this afternoon that Damiano Caruso has been suffering with COVID and Here had, po- race. had possibly tested positive early in the race and had been positive for a few days. And he's now negative. However, Chiro went to ask Damiano Caruso and Caruso said that is not the case. However, it is true that he had been isolated from his teammates earlier in the week because he did the tour of Romandy. There was a lot of illness around there and there was a slight concern that he might have picked something up. I have a business idea. Go on. You know, I think there's a lot of, you know, we're basically 
the pandemic ended because we found an effective vaccine. I think we need to find a vaccine to figure out who tests positive for telling the truth or being cagey about their current health issues here this year. Because, I mean, this is every day we're trying to like decipher who who's had a sniffle, who has a cold. Evan Paul mentioned in the uh, press conference today that he has a bit of a sniffle and he's hoping. He didn't even want to mention the word uh, COVID. But there, uh, there was like a lurking feeling that there was a bit of a... Uh, it was a little bit under the weather. I'll start speculating about you next, Brian. Maybe I'll start speculating about you. Maybe that'll be the hot rumor in the press room next week. Not well, me having... Uh, you've, you've got COVID, yeah. You've had a few ailments thus far in the race. You had the choking incident. Uh, you had some reflux issues. Um, COVID could be next. <laughs> I hate to say <laughs> it. Is, he, is the COVID the third rider of the apocalypse of the Giro? Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Well, Brian, I asked you for your verdict on Remco Avenapool's press conferencing, his performance in the press conference. You're very impressed. Who knows whether you'll be impressed with our own press conferencing tomorrow because we've got one, Brian. It's traditional on the rest day. In the Grand Tours, we answer listeners' questions. So please send those questions to contact at cyclingpodcast.com. We think we'll be recording around 6 o'clock tomorrow, 6 o'clock Central European time, so don't miss out, please. Brian, um, I think we're going to get some questions about Thibaut Pino. I can sense that with this breaking news, very popular among our listeners. I'm just looking at where Thibaut finished today. He did lose quite a lot of time. Lost two minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, of course, he told us a few days ago that he would reassess at the end of Sunday and decide what his goals were going to be for the rest of this race. But the at least someone lost two minutes to Remco then. Yes, 2.40. So he's well down on GC now. I'm just going to check that. But the rest day has come really, I suppose, at the perfect time for Thibaut, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, so there is a silver lining there. I don't know whether I don't know what clouds we're going to see over the next few days, Brian. Um, there's a bit of pessimism still about the weather forecast. I saw a couple of days next week that look as though there will be certainly an improvement on what we've seen so far in this very dank, grey Giro d'Italia. Yeah, I mean the race heated up today, but the temperatures certainly didn't, and it's been. We've been talking about. <laughs> I guess we've been talking about the weather ever since we got to know each other. But uh, this has been a rainy Giro, not as rainy as 2019, which yeah, half of the race basically washed away. But I think the riders have felt it, and for sure that also often will make it difficult for them to recuperate, and that's key in the Grand Tour. On that note, Brian, I had an interesting conversation earlier today with Ben Swift, the Ineos Grenadiers veteran. I don't think it's too impertinent to call him a veteran about precisely that and other matters at the Studio d'Italia a week into the race, uh, a race in which his team is being called the strongest in the race, I think, by a lot of people. And they sort of bore that out today. Or they showed that today. So let's hear from Ben Swift about Ineos' first week and the weather question. Ben, you're obviously, well, you've got this kind of road captain role now. But just sum up, um, just talk to me a bit about the first week. I mean, most people, I think, agree that you guys look like the strongest team. Mm. But, and you've lost, you've also lost Filippo sort of on the negative side. But um, just talk to me in general about how you feel about the first week. No, I think it's gone pretty good, you know. Uh, you know, everybody lost a lot of time to Remco in that first time trial, which was, which was a shame, but after racing you know that's his speciality and stuff so I think uh, the biggest disappointment was we've been really good as a team all race we just maybe misjudged that first sprint day a little bit we hit the front a little bit too early 
and then we ended up getting stuck behind that crash but on the positive of that we were stuck behind it not in it you know so luckily G got back there and unfortunately we lost a little bit with Teo but you know we quickly learned from that mistake and the first week in any Grand Tour it's it's always super hectic you know you uh, you have to invest a lot of energy in that first week I think going into the second week now the the terrain changes a little bit you've got much more uh, progressive climbs so it's not like you've seen the last few days where the teams have all been spread across the road racing and even though it looks quite easy and boring on TV, it's actually quite a hard job. You know, you're doing pretty much threshold on the front and everybody's trying to do the same. Like yesterday, we got there and it was like, once it had established, I managed to like shout to everyone and slow everyone down for a little bit just because we're already in position. We don't need to kill each other. Everyone's there. So we actually pulled together quite a bit, quite, quite well. So, but I think, you know, like I said, it's really hectic the first the first week and especially until that sort of hierarchy is sorted out you know within the teams and the dynamics change of the the climbs and certainly when you go into the bigger mountains you don't need to do that sort of sort of stuff so it's all about staying safe and by doing that it costs a lot of energy for a couple of guys and like you say we've we've lost uh, Pippo which is a massive loss you know it was uh it was great having him there because it enabled me to kind of sit back a little bit and then kind of shout and you know, just be the eyes and then go for the the more technical stuff. So now, yeah, I'm just gonna have to pull my weight a bit more. Do the work too, man. Um, and just last thing, I mean, the weather's obviously been dreadful. It's going to be dreadful for a few mm. more days. Um, a lot of guys say that it does make it more exhausting. I mean, just explain that and how you feel uh, that it adds to fatigue. Well, no, it definitely is. You know, your your body's working harder, just naturally, just trying to stay warm and stuff. And you know, you're back and forth to the team car getting different bits of kit. You're, you're kind of sat there, not not like in, when the sun's out, everybody's kind of happy, chalking, chatting around and stuff like that. And then it's just the the stress of it, you know, like especially in the south of Italy, you know how slippy the roads can be. So there's just that added extra stress and risks that there's going to be something that you've always got to be conscious for. You know, doing little, giving someone else a little bit more room and then having to close the gap a little bit more and stuff like that. And some people handle it different. It drains them and they really don't like it. Fortunately for me, I'm not too opposed to the bad weather. Uh, had a couple of crashes in the bad weather, so like the confidence on the downhills took a bit of a knock, especially in the south of Italy. I had a, quite a nasty crash in that 2020 Giro and this actually, it's, it's helped me with that in a, in a way, you know, taking a bit more confidence on that. But, you know, now that we get more and more to the north of Italy, the stress of that becomes a little bit less and then it's just bad weather but yeah generally I don't mind that. Fifth in Milan San Remo for Bartoli, fourth in the flesh will on. Now he gets the magic number one spot in the age bast on the age. Round the left hand bend. He'll now see the finishing line. It's amazing, but Laurent Jalabert in the end appeared to have beaten beaten rather easily. Jalabert must have known one more attack by Bartoli and he was done for. And he surrendered at exactly the kilometre board. Bartley looks over his shoulder, salutes the cameraman who's right alongside him. There's one for us as well. He's got the victory. Stand with your feet together, butter tight, stomach pulled in and arms straight out to the side, shoulder height. Now, place your hands upward, spread the heels of your hands out to the opposite walls and circle forward. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and back. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and back. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and back. Well, Brian, that sounded like the kind of music that you might... Oh, I, on my run this morning, we were close to Riccione. It's a big sort of mecca for young people to go on holiday, young people in Italy to go on holiday. And I can imagine the, the KGBs that that song is called. The KGBs Techno Gym, um, hard style guru remix. It's not going to be in my playlist. Throbbing in one of those clubs in Riccione that I passed this morning on my run. We also heard there from Michele Bartoli. We didn't hear from Michele Bartoli. What am I saying? We heard the commentary from Michele Bartoli winning, or of Michele Bartoli winning Liege Baston Liege in 1997, picking the pocket of two Anse riders, Laurent Jalabert and Alex Zula. Why are these things kind of related and kind of relevant today? Well, who was he riding for then, Brian? He was riding for MG Technogym. MG Technogym. 
this was the techno gym what, what did i call it hardstyle guru remix i don't know i don't know if there's any link to well the hard style of mg techno gym uh, could also be parallel to the fact that it was under the helm of a very legendary well yeah director. we'll get to that we'll get to that um i don't know if the the name of this song is inspired by the cycling team i very very much doubt it um techno gym the mg techno gym team born from the ashes of the tonton tapi gb team managed by roger de vlamink um then became del tongo mg boys and after that gb MG in 1992. Davide Rebellin, the late Davide Rebellin turned pro with them in 1992. Cipollini was there, Museo joined, Fabio Baldato, he's a direct sportif here for UAE, Pascal Richard. Uh, and then in 1995, Technogym arrived as a co-sponsor as GB left to partner up with Mappe and Patrick Lefebvre's team Peel. He also went from the MG team to Mappe. This is also the start of the team's golden age. Uh, Anne Bartolis, he was their emblematic rider. He won a Flanders with them, a Liège in that famous navy blue and white jersey. He also tour stages for the likes of Baldato and Chandri, Italian national champion with Bugno all added up to one of the most impressive records and rosters of any team in that era. Unfortunately, they were also a quintessential 90s team for in terms of the circumstances that at least led to some degree to their demise uh, during the 1997 Giro d'Italia. Police raided their hotel on the morning of the big Dolomite stage from Predazzo to Falces. See 60 doses containing 60 doses or packages containing steroids and another 260 vials of other substances including EPO and HGH. The arrests, uh, Italian Federation eventually suspended the team's manager, DS Irascible, Iron Sergeant Giancarlo Ferretti for a month and then MG... A month? A month. And then MG announced that they wouldn't renew their sponsorship at the end of the year and that was pretty much the end of the team. So at the end of 1997. But, Brian... Um, well, the, tea, the the sorry, the company has gone from strength to strength. At least I mentioned Bill Clinton attending the inauguration of this place. Um, the Italian An avid president. gym user himself. Business is now worth 2.2 billion euros or um, in the region of that figure. And Brian, well, we know lots of people who rode for MG Techno Gym. Um, one of them is Max Chandri, or was Max Chandri, British rider, Anglo-Italian rider, and he's here at the Giro d'Italia. He's the DS4 Movistar, and um, well, I chatted to Max a couple of days ago, and he is the subject of today's Chiacchierata del Giorno. He's talking Movistar at this Giro, Fernando Gaviria, and why, after all these years, does Max keep coming back to the Giro? Here he is. La Chiacchierata del Giorno, the team wag of the day. So Max, every year at the Giro d'Italia, you tell me, you tell us this is your last one. And here you are, here you are again, Max, with Movistar. You've got a good team here, you've got Gaviria for the sprints, you've got Rubio and others for the German classification. But what, what keeps you coming back? Yeah, fuck. <laughs> tough question. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's the only thing I know how to do, what to do, you know, it's like... Every year is exactly the same, as you said, you know, it's my last year or it's going to be my last one. And, you know, I come to the end of the season, Eusebio Nzue, manager and owner of the team. It's like, come on, stay with us. Let's do one more year. What, what do you want to do? I want to do the Giro, Tireno, Italian races, Tour Britain. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a great program. Yeah, OK, so th there you are. You just go on one more year. And uh, I have to say that this is a this is a team, but it's a group of friends. I really come to bike races and I have friends. So you know, you feel at home. You feel, uh, you know, if it's a job you you love, it's not working. It's it's just having fun, you know. So there is the stress, obviously. There is the, the tough moments, decisions to be made. But it's still a it's still a great environment to be, you know. So this is what probably keeps me going every year. And well, you've talked to me before about the alternatives. What other things do you think of doing? Um, I remember last year there was talk of you were a gravel project in the United States. Or yeah, I mean stuff like that. But at the end of the day, something I really love is vintage cars. <laughs> I like keep buying like old stuff, you know. And, and I got a Bentley now, an old Bentley. I got a Defender, a pretty rare Defender with a British plate on, actually, and stuff like that. So. I don't know. I just, it, it, it's like I, I, I either go on or off, you know. The off is like ride my bike with the family at home in Tuscany, just enjoy vintage car, little ride, you know, stuff like that. And 
and, and the on is bike racing, you know, so I just try and keep it quite simple. The end, I have projects, but my wife keeps saying, you never start with a project. You know, you got ideas, but you never start. So, yes, I guess I never start with stuff. And Max, let's just talk about the team here at the at Giro. You've got Gaviria, who seems to have had a bit of a new lease of life with your team. He seems to be going very well. And then you've got objectives on overall as well with Rubio and a couple of others, I think. Yeah, I'll give you a little insight. Actually, after the bit of Belgium stuff, Fernando was like, where am I going to go, what am I going to do? And I said, come over. So he came to my house. He stayed two weeks in the, in the little guest house I have, and we trained for two weeks. You know, I mean, I just followed him, didn't really do much. But, you know, it was a good, uh, it was a good, um, it was a good moment. We, we really enjoyed it. He enjoyed the family. I enjoyed just having a little objective of training a guy and <clears throat> being with a guy. So, yeah, we're at the Giro with Fernando for stages. And Einer, uh, Einer has got the GC in mind and trying to win a stage. Why not? I mean, it's uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something we have in our pockets and uh, we keep we keep the dream alive. What's the secret to motivating a guy like Fernando? Because I don't think it's any secret that he's a guy whose motivation has been a bit up and down at times. Um, that's what's said about him anyway. No, you keep him. You can, uh, personally, I keep it quite simple with him. I let him kind of. You know, let's say last kilometers, we try and do a really good meeting, have a really good look at, uh, at the final, win the roundabouts, uh, road length, uh, width, wideness, and stuff like that. And then at the end, I kind of let him rule the team in a way of like, I'm not going to be shouting on the radio. And, and that's something we, we kind of, is working quite well. The rest is like his simplicity, you know, just like he, we trained, he had a lot of stuff to do. We just rode, you know, I, he rode, I, I, I followed him with a scooter. We did like well, two weeks, so we did like a, quite a few six to five hours. Nice climbs, Tuscan climbs where I live, you know, old training routes of mine. And we just kept it simple and, you know, we just talk about different stuff as well. And I go to the room, we, we have different arguments, uh, arguments about, you know, not only bike racing. So I know, I mean, plus it's a Spanish speaking team except me. <laughs> So I, don't, I guess it's just fun, different, you know, new stuff, new motivation. And Max, just last thing on the race, um, just as an outsider's perspective, I guess you don't think Rubio is going to win the race. Um, based on what you've seen so far, who would your money be on? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. It's just like, you know, people have to start moving sooner or later. You know, we can't... <laughs> We can't just wait for TTs, you know. I mean, these guys are going to... They're really flying, you know, the Roglic and the Evenpool. I mean, people are, you know... team like Ineos has to really get going sooner or later, you know. And, and you know... They've got the numbers. they got the numbers. The clock is ticking, you know. You need balls as well. You need balls. You need you need to sometimes just go and, and, and don't calculate too much the outcome. That's how you can break up this race and then... You know, because the two guys, what are the two contenders, I'd say maybe Roglic and, and Remco, you know, they have the TTs on their side, you know, so you need to invent and, and do stuff differently. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Well, Brian, we're not going to do a deep dive on tomorrow's stage because there isn't one, as we said. Um, I think we're going to mention it. We're going to, well we're going to mention it. Um, but the, ma- the main event tomorrow is the press conference, as I've already mentioned, so get your questions in. Brian, dinner last night. Dinner last night. Yeah, it was I mean, great company. It was a very busy restaurant, family restaurant, I would call it. The, I mean, it was packed. It was absolutely packed. It was called uh, it was Italians called of all age. It was called the Du Fratelli, wasn't it? Two brothers, maybe an homage to the Bice brothers or the Paris Peintre maybe. brothers. Well, well, actually, where we stayed last night was also it was a very nice, uh, friendly B&B run by two twin brothers, as far as I could tell, at least. And I last night, Brian had probably the most typical pasta dish of these parts: strozza preti, literally strangle priests. Um, they have other names in other parts of Italy that are very much sort of uh, along the same lines. Um, they, 
the, you can go to some places in Italy and they'll be called the, the strangled sacerdotes. For sacerdotes, is that even a word in English? I think it is. Um, but yes, and that refers to the, the shape of them. They kind of look like a sort of twisted, like a twisted uh, tagliatelle, a short tagliatelle, but twisted, um, like someone's neck that's been twisted. But they were very good. Um, had those with radicchio and rucola and rocket. But Brian, I said that we would just briefly talk about the stage of not tomorrow, but the day after tomorrow. What have we got in store? We have a, I wouldn't call it a, a transitional stage, but you know how a lot of the early part of the Giro has been circling up and down and in and around the Apennine. Well, tomorrow we cross them and head to the Tuscan coast. Uh, the stage starts in Scandiano and it uh, crosses a very high point, at least for that part of the Apennines, the Passo delle Radici. And uh, after that, it's almost a downhill all the way through the, the valley close to Luca. And it passes, actually passes parts of Luca, um, very close to Mario Cipollini's home, actually. And then it heads toward the coast, um, the coastal town in Versilia of Via Reggio. Excellent. And we're staying closer there tonight, Brian, because we're heading to your neck of the woods. Um, and we we'll very much look forward to discovering it tomorrow. Although I might have a bit of a mission tomorrow, Brian. You don't have to partake. It's okay. But I might be otherwise engaged for a couple of hours, unfortunately. Um, Brian, you've also got an excellent kilometer zero. We think it's going to be excellent. It's coming out tomorrow. Thank you. Fingers about, crossed. About the Danes in Tuscany. Why? Tuscany became this sort of Danish colony in cycling, very significant in the 90s and noughties, so look out for that. Brian, we've got a long drive, so we'd better make our way towards Tuscany. It's Buonasera from me. Buonasera from me. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.